0: And welcome to Unprofessional, the show where we talk about anything but work. I am Dave Wiskus, joined as always by Jamie Newberry. Hey, Dave. Hi. I'm taking a cue from your intro last week. Girl.
1: Yeah, you know, it worked out, I think. I think it was all right.
0: Maybe I should have gone softer and basier. Welcome to Unprofessional.
1: Oh, Go with the style. Husky voice. Well you <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: getting over a cold, so I've kind of got the, the husky voice thing going on anyway. At yeah. least I, in my head I do. To you, I probably sound like uh, Rick Moranis or something.
1: Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's who it was. <laughs> it was. Exactly
1: who sprung to mind, Rick Moranis. Uh,
0: we have with us today the one and only Dermot Daly.
1: Hi, everyone. Dermot.
0: At, hey. At long, at long last, at long last.
1: At long last, indeed. It's been well over a year since I've seen you, good sir.
0: It has indeed. It has indeed.
1: Well, how have you been?
2: S- <laughs> 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 I've been great. I've met, I've met your co-hosts a number of times in the last year, I gotta say. Um, we just keep
0: bumping into each other. We do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. And usually in a different country, which is kind of cool. That's, that's how that works out. So, Dermot, uh, for those of us who, and, and I'm including myself, uh, who have no idea who you are, now, uh, for, for, the, for the people out there who aren't familiar with, with you or will, could you just give us like a, a, a quick explanation?
2: Okay, so um, my day job, I run um, a mobile app development company based in Dublin. Um, we develop iOS and Android apps. Um, but I guess your listeners might know, those of your listeners who do know me may know me as uh, a part, you know, part of the team behind UL, the conference we run here in Ireland. We've run it for the last three years. oh yes.
1: Incredible conference.
2: I, Ooh, I believe the, the place where you two guys Kindled your friendship?
1: Yes, as a matter right. of fact, it was yeah, in 2013.
2: True. It's
0: where we learn to stop hating each other.
1: It's true. It's <laughs> you the know, truth.
2: I I I just love hearing stories like that. I do. I, conferences are about connecting people, and um, this is just one of those
0: situations. I think it's great.
1: And look at us now.
0: I've I've made friends at conferences over the years a lot. In fact, I'd say most of my uh, close or even relatively close friends that I have now or people that I've met at conferences. But Jamie was the first person that went from from being not enemy, but something.
1: <laughs> yeah, we weren't close, but we didn't yeah. we didn't get along. I mean, it was a little worse than not just not talking to each other it was a little there was a little more tension there. We, we had a very tension based relationship.
0: A little animosity. I yeah, think.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think that's fair to say.
0: It was the first big turnaround like that. Did you guys
2: ever meet face-to-face during your uh,
1: animosity phase? We sure did.
2: Wow. Because I I can see things like that happening, you know, kind of a misunderstanding of personalities when people haven't sat down across a table and saw the whites of each other's eyes. Oh,
0: no, no. In fact, we'd we'd hung out We uh, had hung out and
1: we got along. You know, we got along fine. I think in person, you're able to, when you're working on a thing, you know, you can put personal stuff and it's not like we even really had anything personal there was just something unspoken and you know I think it was just it was a lack of really understanding each other's roles each other's skill sets each other's you know just understanding in general and communication in general
0: yeah it was that we were presented to each other without clarity and that lack of clarity led to some confusion and maybe some uh both of us feeling threatened in some way and just, had there yeah. had there been a little bit of clarity offered up at the beginning, we probably could have avoided all of that. Uh, and, and then fast
2: forward two years you're sitting uh, you have an extra day in Dublin with nothing to do <laughs> but hang out exactly. with each other.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so we, we find ourselves, you know, at the hotel bar just kinda like oh, there's Dave. Great of all the people, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but then yeah, Dave sits down. Hey, how's it going? And we just and we talked. And thank you, Dave, for being approachable. Like for not avoiding me. You could have easily just walked, turn around, and walked I think out. Even
0: even by that time, I think that we had we had talked mm-hmm. enough that we knew that we should have a bigger conversation. It's we, true. We knew by the time we got to Ireland, we knew that like. We should sit down. And it happened to be, people make fun of me for the way I travel, my don't buy a ticket to the last minute thing. But this is a case where it really worked out. I did, I was, I guess everybody is leaving and I'm going to go to Amsterdam today. And I'm just sitting in the lobby saying goodbye to some people and then I'm going to head to the airport and buy my plane ticket. And it happens to be, hey, Jamie's in town for an extra day. So we get to talking and there was no, uh, well, great great talking to you, I have to go. It was, it, so you know what, screw it. I'll stay an extra day. Let's That's have it. this conversation. Let's hang out together.
1: And it really worked. It did. It really worked out great. And, um, you know, like, yeah, we ended up kind of, shoot, we ended up having a fantastic time, actually, Dave. <laughs> it, was,
0: it was a really fun day. Like, we went to that weird pastry shop. And yeah. then we wound up over at uh, uh, Paul's place for dinner.
1: Yep. Did the dishes.
0: Oh, yeah, we did the dishes.
1: Yep. We did some dishes. I don't think we did all the dishes, but we, no. did, make, we did make a good chunk. Uh, you know, uh, we did a lot you know, of dishes. You know,
2: Paul, Paul subsequently told me one day that it's, um, it's like his universal barometer of a nice person is if they've had dinner in your house and they offer to do dishes, that makes them a good person. Oh, so you passed the nice. test. You both passed the test. How
0: about that?
1: That's great.
0: I don't know what this says about me, but I remember very clearly my reaction was a, uh, Jamie's like, we should do the dishes. And it it hit me and I'm like, my first thought is I like, remember I the look the on your face. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, she's right. We really should do the dishes. So it's... I got to kind of be dragged in that direction. I have to be dragged into being a good person, but I end up there. I hope that's worth something.
1: If I remember correctly, you wanted to get back as quickly as possible so you could cut this show. Cut, oh, that's right. I had to Unprofush. edit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I remember yeah. you
1: were like, I need to get back before, you know, a certain time. So we did enough dishes to still make your timeline or whatever and 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 still do some dishes
0: yeah I am feeling gratitude. bad about that I, I, I do remember feeling bad about that because uh, I, I had this sense of urgency and I didn't want to be a jerk about it but it's like I really gotta get this thing done and I still have to get up tomorrow to leave the country and,
1: so is that, uh, is that worse do you think Dermot like doing half the dishes
0: <laughs> it's that's almost a- worse that's a great question
2: i mean look you had a reasonable excuse you had your show to do so i guess we'd probably let you off i mean the fact that you actually even tried or, or were dragged <laughs> by the sound of things
0: but we did we did a, we did a fair amount i mean maybe i'm the wrong person to judge that
2: i'm, I'm gonna read I'm, I'm gonna read between the lines here dave and suggest that if jamie
0: hadn't have suggested it maybe that wouldn't have happened that's probably true. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't even say probably. That's that's almost definitely true. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm I'm not going to... Def- if had I had zero time constraint, of course, I would have just gone in and I would have done it because uh, I end up, at the very least, even if I'm not a good person, I end up so paranoid that people are going to have found some reason to uh, be upset with me that I'm going to go a little out of my way in those situations to be super nice. Uh, but the, the, the situation being what it was, it was hard for me to... Uh, to see things as clearly as I maybe should have or be as thoughtful as maybe I should have. And there was Jamie being my my barometer of kindness and uh, pushing me in the right direction.
1: Your little Jiminy Cricket.
0: Yep, my conscience. <laughs> I think you've hit off
2: something very interesting there, Dave, though, about um, our internal paranoia. And I, I think um, it's something that generally drives all of us. Do you know what I mean? Like this kind of concept that... Why? Why do I do something? It, you know, I'm kind of driven by this fear that if I don't do the right thing, people will think bad of me, or if I don't perform, people will think bad of me.
0: Well, also, um, especially when I'm around people who are super, super nice, like really nice people, make me feel terrible. And that's that's not because they're doing something wrong; it's because they're doing something right, and it makes me question everything about myself. Like the entire time I'm at Wool this year, I'm thinking to myself: there's a thousand more things I, I think I should be doing but I don't know what they are. Like, I feel, I just feel like I'm not living up to the example that's being set and I don't know what to do about it.
2: It's very stressful. Well, if, if it helps, I think it's very common. I think we all feel like that. I know that, you know... Um, I don't know if you read an article Paul wrote called The Conference Crash, but how it all makes particularly me feel like, you know, I have this, uh, we have all this stressful time coming up to it. We we run the, the conference and usually by closing time, people are coming up to us and are really super positive and making you feel great. And the next day... There's a void left behind of that feeling, and and you you go to a really weird place. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not a person that has these uh, wide spectrum of emotions. You know, no, nobody ever accuses me of being over enthusiastic or over happy or over angry. But um, I gotta say, you know, the the aftermath of a conference is a kind of a uh, a strange place to end up.
1: I totally agree. I mean, you do even not being an organizer of a conference, but like attending a conference and you have all this sort of stimulation, which is overwhelming, but very positive, right? It's like this attention almost and acknowledgement. And, um, you know, if, if I've done a talk or whatever, it's really nice. Like it's really nice. People are like, whoa, I really liked this and I liked this or I didn't like that. Or why did you say that? Whatever it is, you're having an exchange and this interaction and, and then you go home and it's it's an extreme drop in that interaction and yeah you well, go back
2: to real life right
1: yeah and it's it's such a contrast it is a little abrasive
2: yeah your kids don't come over and tell you what an amazing job you've done for picking them up
1: for school <laughs> right <laughs> never
0: <laughs> yeah gotta work on them on that it's as if sometimes our brains are just machines that run on external sources of validation i, I think that's actually quite a good way to put it you know i i remember
2: um there's a, a, a very famous Irish soccer player Roy Keane, and uh, he he's retired a few years. And Roy gave an interview recently, and it was actually my dad was talking to me about watching it, and he said that uh, Roy spoke about what drove him every time he went onto the pitch was fear of not performing. And my dad was explaining to me saying, uh, "How can you live your life like that?" And I just thought, "Don't we all? Is that not how we all operate? You know because that, that's you know that's kind of what drives me. I think. I don't. I don't think everybody lives that way." I I I I think it's interesting. I, I'm not sure everybody lives that way, but I think uh, I think it, a lot of people in our industry might. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. It that seems way.
0: like whenever this kind of conversation comes up, like especially things about imposter syndrome and all that, it's I keep it seems almost like an echo chamber of people who feel that same way. But then sometimes I talk to people from other industries. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh TJ Lavin on the show, and that that was a guy. I don't think he feels that way at all. I don't think that guy, and he's fairly successful, I don't think he feels like he's an imposter in any way. I think he just feels like he's awesome and life is awesome and everything is awesome.
2: He, he, he came across as kind of the most, one of the most chilled out people or one of most content people I've
0: ever heard. So yeah. I listened to that show, right? And for, he, for a guy who claims not to do drugs, I don't think I've ever heard anyone sound <laughs> that stoned in my life.
1: Well, he, you have to remember he's recovering from a head injury as well.
0: So maybe that's the secret. But he no, he reminded I mean, me of the turtle from
2: from uh, Finding Nemo. <laughs>
1: he's just like, yeah, dude. No, he's always uh, been that way, though. Is the thing? I mean, I don't know. Like our our parents both. I mean. Our moms were really good friends, taught us how to be good people to other people and and kind. And so, you know, when you talk about, um, I I don't know, I kind of half relate and kind of half don't relate to what you guys are saying about, like, I mean, the imposter syndrome, I get that with work sometimes, like, I feel like, you know, people are going to find out that I, I suck at this, really, or something. And yet, at the same time, I've worked really hard my entire life and have done fairly well, you know, because I put my heart into my work but with the um the validation or the need of validation I don't I don't really feel like I need somebody else's validation like I do a thing because I feel like it's genuinely the thing like offering to do somebody's dishes like I do that because if I don't do that I actually I don't I don't know I don't feel good like I feel like I need to help like there's just Right. A,
0: well there's there's like kind of two things at play here there's the there's that side of it, which it's not that I'm only doing it because if I don't, I'm going to like feel like I'm being a jerk. It's more that uh, in those situations, typically I won't think of it until it's too late. And then I feel horrible for two reasons. Uh, it's not that I'm only doing it because society says I should or because it's a polite thing to do. It's that I would do it because I think it's the right thing to do, because I think that that's, you know, it would make me feel good to, to contribute. It's that I don't think of it until after the fact in most cases. On the other side, uh, there's the, and maybe these things are related, but the other side is that uh, the the thing that will drive me onto a conference stage isn't a sense of feeling awesome about myself. It's uh, wanting to, to to not fuck it up.
1: Well, yeah,
2: well that's I'm- the fear of
0: failure. And that's the fear of
2: not performing. And that's the, the Roy Keane thing, I guess, right? Um and I, I found this interesting. Oil uh, are we, are we, uh, isn't my job, right? So I'm not really talking about my job, right? Oil's the thing I do in my spare time. But what I've found about running a conference in the last couple of years is we, we've got a lot of really, really amazing speakers, and they've all been amazing. But I've also had a chance to see them at that stage before they go on, and it, it sometimes surprises me to see that that you get these people who you you know are great speakers. But they're quite vulnerable before they get on because they're going through that fear, fearful stage. And, yeah. and as soon as they get up on stage, they just deliver. They have not, uh,
0: you know, they had nothing to fear, if you know what I mean. I remember right before I went on at UL this year, I was standing in the, the lobby area right outside the, the, the big conference room. Uh, and I'm talking to Michael Lopp. And he's rushing off to go do some stuff with his video for his uh, his feature and I'm like getting ready to do my talk and we're both just balls of nervous energy yeah. trying to have this polite conversation like he's a he's a friend and we could just be like, I can't talk I can't talk and run off but for some reason, I think we were both just so disarmed at this moment that we felt like we needed to stop and have a polite conversation and we were both failing miserably at it We're both like Hey, uh, are you, are you going to be in my, no, I have to go do a thing. I, well, maybe I should stay. Well, maybe, well, no, I should go. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's, uh, uh, uh," and we're both freaking out. And then finally, I think we started crying and ran off. I don't know what happened. I don't know how we got out of that moment. Yeah. And that's a guy who's usually pretty together and pretty cool and confident. And I feel, uh, like I, I try to present that way most of the time, but you catch me right before a talk. And I'm a fucking mess.
2: And I guess I guess that that might actually help you to see other people who you've looked up to speaking in a similar uh, a similar state of
0: nervousness. if you like
2: you know, so yeah. you can go and say, "Well, actually, that's kind of normal, then, right?"
0: <laughs> it would be great to say that. Well, even the best of us go through that. But then you see guys like Josh Clark, and right before a talk, he's like, "Yeah, I'm about to give give a talk. It's cool."
1: <laughs> Some people are very comfortable with it, and. I don't know. I know. I know. I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack every every time right before I go on stage. I really well, feel well. Yeah. I,
2: I, I hope I'm not betraying any confidences, but I would say more people are are nervous than calm. I
1: I you think know, so much too. more. You know, the more people that I yeah, the more lineups you're in, the more you see that, and um, I agree. I have to
0: agree. As nervous as I can be before a talk, I think that depending depending on the talk, depending on the conference. But more often than not, the worst moment of my life is the moment I finish a talk. Because really? that's the point at which I've done the thing and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> right. all, I, all I'm left with is regret over not doing better. And the knowledge that I'm not going to get another shot at it.
2: Okay, and that's how you feel at the end of actually organizing the conference, right? So I, I actually, you know, it's it's a very, very similar situation.
1: That's see, That's That's got to be a little scary, too, because you're overwhelmed with an extreme opposite feeling as what was going on before
2: yeah absolutely absolutely and we 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 call it the conference crash (laughs) we've given it a name
1: that's a good extreme
2: opposite
0: and nothing and nobody there no chorus of voices to tell you how awesome you are
1: right right no
0: reassurance Uh, because shouldn't we all wake up every morning with that the knowledge that we're going to walk out our front doors and be greeted by a, a long series of people just telling us how great we are
2: Oh, wouldn't the world be amazing? Apart from, <laughs> except for you, to, if you had the job of just being a cheerer, right? So, if your role was to just to cheer on other people, well, that wouldn't be so great. But if you're you were the cheery, uh, your uh, your
0: world would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Well, it, it wouldn't take that much. You'd only have to everybody volunteers twenty minutes of their day to cheer on other people.
1: <laughs> That's actually you should totally start that. You know, that I got that question the other day. I have my little Q and A blog. Somebody asked asked me. If that was what I do. What is coaching exactly? Do you just go out and give a pep talk? And I thought that was a fantastic
0: <laughs> question. I've, we've discussed it and I still don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, it's more about helping people change behaviors than just going in and actually doing a job, so to speak.
0: Is that what you're subtly doing to me over the run of this show?
1: That's right, Dave. Huh.
2: We're all in on it. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> if we had that cheery day, I don't know what we'd call it. It just sounds like it'd be like Bat Kid for, for grownups. ups. You're a bad kid in San
0: Francisco. <laughs> Imagine everybody yeah. got one of them days. Shouldn't we? I mean, why not? Why not? Why is that just for kids?
2: Yeah, today is Dave Whiskers Day. Everybody cheering you on everywhere you go. That would be great.
1: You're Dave. I would love that.
0: You know what would suck though? The day after Dave Whiskers Day.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <And> the crash.
0: <laughs> I don't think like that's the day I kill myself. It's not gonna, it's gonna work. Like, yeah, it's just, there's you know what? From this point forward, it's all shit. It's not going to work. Yep. It's like uh, the day after Christmas. There's all this excitement and anticipation and your, your you know, presents and Isn't and that kind food of what a and...
1: birthday is, though, too? Like, that's your
0: day? Yeah, I well, I don't know. I don't think there's as much significance placed on birthdays as there is on, yeah, I don't know. Mm, not when you're over <laughs> 10. When, <laughs> you you, know when you're what? 10, maybe.
1: <laughs> I have to tell you, so the, the guy that I'm dating does a thing every now and then where well, he's like... It's, it's your day. So you, you know, you get to decide, like, it's just the simplest thing. Like, where, where should Aww. we have breakfast? And he's like, it's your day. Where do you want to go? And it's, it's so endearing i have to say like every time i feel that immediate um like you know your eyes get all wide as if somebody just gave you a present for no reason like (laughs) like it's that feeling we should do that more with other people those sorts of it's your day you decide like it's a great way to say i have no idea you pick
2: (laughs) have you ever thought of like really taking advantage of that like Oh He's yeah! Really, <laughs> dumb to extreme. Yeah.
1: It's my day. We're watching yeah. this. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I you're you're going to be
2: day. my footstool. Like, get down on the ground. I'm going to put my feet on top of you and watch watch whatever movie I want.
1: <laughs> so maybe not quite that extreme, but yeah, yeah. When it's my day, you bet.
2: That's that's not even extreme. I'm only starting, but but yeah.
0: You
1: know. <laughs> well, that it. goes to
0: a dark place fast when you start thinking ahead to what that guy's going to do back to you when it's his day.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, if we keep it all on the up and up, it's nice. It's a nice thing. It's a nice. Right. It is a
2: lovely thing. It sounds like a fantastic thing. I got to say,
1: it's a good thing. I think more people should
0: do that. It's the kind of thing that makes me miss being in a relationship.
1: You don't even have to be in a relationship. Do it for a friend. Do it for, for Dermot. It's your day, Dermot. It's You're my at day us today.
2: Oh God, I'm too indecisive. I wouldn't be able to handle it if somebody gave me my day. <laughs> I'd be really, you know, I'd start putting on the TV. Actually, do you know what? I've three children. If somebody gave me my day, I would just say, you take the kids off for the day, and I'm going to sit in bed reading the newspaper or something like that.
1: See, that's a totally fair request for my day. I-, I can totally relate to that. I- the two kids, and man.
0: Oh, you know what? I just realized I'm single with no kids. Every day is my day. Every right, day Dave. is your day. Oh. Thinking. No, I gotta to say, in,
2: it. Well, good for me. In in fairness to my wife, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Father's Day is just gone, and uh, the kids came up to me uh, at the start of the morning and gave me all cards that they'd made by themselves. Aww. And in one of the cards, has a ticket to go see the specials. I don't know if you know who the specials are. Yeah, They're an amazing you amazing Band from the seventies, uh, late seventies, early eighties, and uh, then they all left me, and I fell back asleep till like. One, eight, one, one in the afternoon or something. Like, it, was, <laughs> it was an awesome day.
1: It's fantastic. That's, um yeah. I have a, you know, slightly different situation being a, a single mom, but who's, fa- the, my ex-husband, the kid's dad is still very much in the picture. So we have, you know, he takes the kids, I take the kids, we have a 50-50 split. With the exception of the last two months, he's been on a, a movie shoot. So it's been weird because that's been our rhythm to have the 50-50 share um, for the past, you know, the entire life of Zia. So, for like, five years now. Um, yeah. And so, this last two months, there's not been <laughs> the kid share. It's just been just me. You know, they've been here full-time, which is great. I'm a parent. I have no complaints, I'd like, sure in the scheme of things. But it's quite a jarring contrast. Like, it reminds you of, you know, like, really, really do not forget to appreciate those moments. And if they're days... Oh man, days are awesome when you don't have you know the, to worry about the kids being there or picking them up or or whatever. But
2: about two years back, my wife took a trip with some friends. Uh, I think she took a, a week off to New York. So what I did is I I actually took the week off work just to do the <laughs> whole pick them up from school, all that sort of stuff. And nice. what um, it, it it was a great time with the kids. But what I found was oh it's not a job I'd like to do full time. Seriously. They, the the stress of having to be everywhere on time,
1: everywhere okay, on so time, it, all the time. Yeah, so I can't to,
2: do that. So today, if I have to be at a meeting, right? Uh, if I'm running late, I you know I'm on my way there. I pick up the phone to the guy who I'm running late and say, "I'll be there in five minutes. I'm just caught in traffic." You can't do that with your schools, with, with your kid's <laughs> school, right? You just have to be there. So, so uh, like. As in typical, like, you know, me as a novice, uh, I'd arrive everywhere half an hour early. So I'm standing around school, I'm standing around schools on my own as a man <laughs> half an hour early, looking, just frankly, looking like a dodgy character, you know, it's just rather than turning off to my kids late. Like, so uh,
0: I just found the whole week actually quite stressful.
1: It's very
2: funny.
0: I, I, I could not, this is one of the reasons I couldn't be a parent. I just, uh, I would not be able to get up on time and do things.
1: It, it it definitely takes, you know, practice, I guess. I don't know that I'll ever get it. It's one of the things that I really um, appreciate about working for myself. I don't know, there's a, an interesting balance there, right? Like, if I didn't have the kids, like on the days that I don't have the kids, I allow myself to sleep a little later or, but I love the days that I have them because I have to be up by a certain time to get them out the door by a certain time to get them where they need to be. And, so, and even through the summer, you know, like I have a hard stop today on this call because I need to be somewhere to pick up kids. And
2: yeah, and and that does have advantages. Like I, I know that I would waste every Saturday morning if I didn't have to get up and bring the kids. the football but (laughs) but you know what i kind of once i'm out there and i'm standing and the winter by the way in ireland is wet right so you're standing at the side of a a rainy pitch but actually i quite enjoy it and i actually have good fun and i get on it well with all the other parents and all that sort of stuff and uh I, i definitely say on balance a big big positive dave don't knock it till you try it that's what i'd say it's yeah, true. but if I try it and don't like it, there's no going
0: back. <laughs> it, it's yeah, true. It is. It's kind of a one-way street. Yeah, yeah and uh, I mean, I've uh, over the course of my life, whenever I've said I don't want to have kids or I shouldn't have kids or whatever, the, the, that's a pretty common response. People saying, "Well, just you know, you'll change your mind." Uh,
1: see, and I would never say that. It's
0: or people saying, "Like, well, once you have kids, you'll think, like, why? Why would I do that? I just like that. That sounds like a who if somebody comes to you and says like you know what i just don't like dogs your response would not be well you should get one
1: <laughs> well here's the thing dave <laughs> like it's not i mean i, I- Honestly, I didn't plan to have kids. I didn't plan not to have kids, but I certainly wasn't trying to have kids, but surprise kids. And, you know, I mean, it, like I was married for seven years before I ever had a kid. I thought I thought we couldn't have kids. We thought we couldn't have kids. And then suddenly we had a kid. and then suddenly we had a second kid, and it was just like, holy crap, this this happens. And I certainly didn't want a second one. I mean, I but not enough to try not to, right? But things happen. and um. Yeah. You know, so sometimes like if you were put in the circumstance, I would never go so far as to say like, oh, well, you should just you should try it. You might like it. Um, <laughs> if you really don't want kids, you'll go to great lengths to not have kids. I trust
0: right. if if you're a good person and you find yourself with a child, <laughs> chances are you're going to still try your best.
1: Exactly. I don't think, I don't think that's what the same.
0: I do. <laughs> right. I don't think that's the same as being the sort of person who wants kids. Now, there, somebody, I won't say who because I don't know if this is a very flattering thing, uh, d- a very flattering story. But a, a friend once said, the only thing better than having a kid is not having a kid.
1: Interesting. Oh, you know, I, don't,
0: I, I, don't I don't have know. to react to that, you know?
1: Yeah, that's that's like I think it's fair, though. I mean, it's a fair thing to say.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know what? Having having a kid is amazing. I love it. It's. It's one of my favorite things in the world. The, in fact, the only thing better than having a kid is not having a kid. And that just, it, it sticks in my head. Not because this was a guy who didn't want kids or because he's a bad parent or something. In fact, I'd say he's a pretty good parent from what I know. But I, I, would, I would say that that's a, a pretty good description of how my approach would be. Like, if I were in that situation, I would try to get the most out of it. i try to be good at the job uh out of a sense of duty and, and wanted wanting to be a good person and, and all of those things but you know it would be better than than being a great parent it would be not being a parent <laughs> i'd just, like that even more
2: it's certainly not being a parent would beat the hell out of being a bad one
1: yeah uh, that's I'd
2: for sure agree, right for sure but i guess i guess there there is one one thing that and i i don't like to harp on about this because i i get that when you don't have kids people talking about their children is the like pretty much the most boring thing in the world (laughs) but there is this weird biological switch that happens when you have a child and it's it's, it is bizarre as heck right absolutely bizarre the things that weren't important to you before suddenly become important and you turn into a more emotional person in this really weird way like (laughs) me, it's like I'm at a stage where you know puppies on the screen on the TV can make me cry where I used to like you know, they meant nothing to me. Do you know what I mean? It's like I've become a more emotional person. Oh, how did I end up telling you all this? Uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a bizarre switch that goes on, and I, I you know, it's so so hard to explain to people because uh, because you sound a bit you know, there's a real danger sound, real preachy, but it just does change you, and it changes you in a way that you could never see coming. And and I, I have an example, I guess, like I think that. Um, as a guy having children I don't I don't believe as such many guys go I can't wait to have kids I don't I don't know many people many guys who became broody if you like and I think what I think the natural order is almost that um, at some point in their life uh, you know a child comes along and the the partner the guy kind of goes okay let's go ahead with it. as opposed to them being really really eager for it right and with me and this is no word of a lie I realised I was having a child a week before I had a child, and and the, the somebody way somebody waited
0: way too long. To
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, God, my saying to my wife, Aileen, Aileen, you're putting on weight. No, it it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> what actually happened was, um, so this this is true, right? So what what actually happened was our first child um, was breached, which means that about a, a couple of weeks beforehand, they say that baby's not going to come out naturally. There's a there's a danger we might have to do a caesarean section. But what they do is, they say, come in next week and we're going to try and manipulate the child from outside, right? So, Which you then
0: spent the next 18 years also doing.
2: No, so, no, what happened was, so we go go into this room and they they try to manipulate the baby to turn it by pressing on my wife's belly and all that sort of stuff, right? And um, your woman, the lady goes, the obstetrician or whatever she was, says, look... uh, it's not going to happen, we're going to have to do a cesarean section. And she opens up a book, and she looks down, and it was like ordering a table in a restaurant. She says, "Uh, I've got an opening next Thursday at 10 o'clock, how does that suit? (laughs) Oh, wow. And I just, like, I just stopped and thought. And she, she, like, I was literally just staring at space, and she said, I'll give you guys a minute. And, And she left the room. And I turned to my wife and said, holy shit, we're going to have a baby. And honestly, that was the time when, it, when I recognized it. it was literally on a week away. Obviously, I understood my wife was pregnant, but the actual concept of having a child hadn't come to me until that moment. Well, and
1: it's like weird. having a date and time is very nice, I have to say.
0: Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You could really plan around that. Like, well, I'm going to get in a couple rounds of golf before... Uh, maybe some lunch with a friend. Yep. Go have the kid. It's yeah. Go the kid. It's not going to be. It's not going to get be the like, cigars and the champagne. Yeah. It's not gonna Go be like meet on the days of friends. labor. So uh, yeah. I'll be out by seven thirty.
2: So can, I, I, I've got this other story about when, uh, not to harp on about children. This is more about me than my children. <laughs> um, when my when my third was born, um, we uh we we were booked in for a, a C section this time because. My wife had had a couple of them they don't like to, to even try after a while. So um, we were booked in and it turned out about a day beforehand, my wife actually went into labor. So they, they didn't expect that to happen. Oh. So, uh, so off we go into the hospital and she 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 was getting cramps and she didn't realize these were contractions. She just thought they were cramps. And she, she had actually, it had happened to her in work and she said to me, listen, I'm starving. I, I haven't eaten. Will you go get me a sandwich? So... I left the, the hospital and I got her a sandwich and I came back and I gave it to her and she took a couple of bites out of it and uh, she got another big contraction and I said, well, we better call the nurse. So I called the nurse over and the nurse says, look, there's a danger you're in full labour here. We might have to go to a full cesarean section and she says, we might have to do it pretty quick. She says, so we, we need you to fast and you can only take water from here on in um, and I'll come back to you in a few minutes. And so there's this whole moment where my wife's sitting in a bed looking at me and I'm there trying not to look at the sandwich. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my wife just looks at me and with a big disappointed look on her head. And I'm, I'm having a whole Homer Simpson moment where my head is just going, eat the sandwich, eat the sandwich, eat the
1: sandwich. <laughs> I love that that was your dad
2: My wife just looks at me and says, eat the fucking sandwich.
1: <laughs> that is awesome.
2: That's, that's me being a great
1: dad. I love it. I do. Because that's an important thing. The eating is important. It's so mean that they won't let her eat. Oh.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So my Homer Simpson moment.
1: I like
0: it. So there was a, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about something emo- a little less emotional. Dermot, let's talk about prostitutes for a minute.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll let you lead this one. <laughs> I love go ahead. So there was, there was a moment at WWDC where we're sitting uh, at a table at Park 55 and so how did we even end up talking about this? There was- I, we
2: might have been talking about Vegas because I don't particularly, uh, and no offense, Jamie, I know you're from Vegas, but my, have experiences, no idea. <laughs> my experiences of Vegas has been, um, I've only been twice and, and both times I just, it just wasn't my kind of place. And there was both times there was prostitute stories right so i guess that's how we start just
1: throwing it in out there next time you're in vegas please give me a call
2: done done absolutely i'd like to see the real
1: Vegas. i'm not i'm not yeah i'm i'm not well versed in the world of prostitutes despite my being from here and and despite i guess like popular um i I don't believe of people from vegas but yeah no
2: you know, f- funny thing about my last experience in Vegas was we we took a we took a few days and we stayed downtown and we stayed on the Strip and in between we took a trip up to the Grand Canyon, which was Yay. amazing.
1: Um,
2: and of course, the, there's this kind of is as if downtown has a reputation for being, uh, I guess, a sleazier part of town. It uh, used actually, to be. Found, I found it the opposite. Yes, yeah, like, it's, it's we changed. had a great time downtown. Really good time down at the Fremont Street experience and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And um, when we went up to the strip, um, I would say, you know, I think we were three nights there and every night towards the end of the night, we'd head to the bar for a last night drink. And every night you'd end up in a conversation with with a girl and it just turned out they happened to be prostitutes, you know, and, and this kind of, it was like, can you have a conversation with people? You know, that's the way it felt. So I think that's the conversation, Dave, we were having in Park 55.
0: Well, the the thing about that conversation in Park Fifty Five, like having this conversation, this is just a series of of stories about that time we wound up talking to a prostitute. Like, there's nothing particularly gross or or uh, whatever salacious about these stories. It it was who else was at the table with us that made it so funny to me.
2: I can't. I can't remember who else had their own prostitute stories. It might have been Gordon Hughes, was
0: it? No,
2: sitting next to you was Jean McDonald. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Jean. Jean helped me tell my story. Which <laughs> but maybe I'll just pick up the story, will I? So what? What had actually happened was, um, uh, yeah. So I got to t- tell you what had happened. I was. I, I think. It, I think it was during the day at WWDC... uh feeling a bit tired, you know, it's it's quite a long journey over, you're jet lagged, you're up early for the keynote and all that sort of stuff. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday or something, I said, right, I'm going to head home for, you know, I might just have a quick snooze in the afternoon, there's nothing important for me this afternoon that I want to see, and I'll head back to the hotel. And as I'm heading into the hotel, I go into the, I'm going into the lift lobby and into the lift, and as I go in, um, this uh, old couple step out of the lift, and as does this other lady, and I guess she 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 was a I guess in software terms we'd say her pre-sales her her, her pre-sales assets were slightly showing I guess right so <laughs> she she's she's <laughs> large. See. How is that
0: software terms?
2: Um, we we often talk about pre-sales, right? Her, you, you know, you, you before you sell, you kind of try and give people reasons to want to buy your software, right? You so anyway, much. yeah. So. Sh- so I glanced, right? So I can't help but glance, right? I only glanced. And as Jean said, Jean, I was really glad Jean said this. Jean said, I'd have glanced. So I glanced and this lady caught me glancing and immediately went, oh, hey. And I politely say, oh, hi. And then she just turns on her heels and jumps into the lift with me. And then she, so I'm in the lift on my own with a prostitute. Uh, Hello. She, she's there going, so what do you need? I kind of, I don't need anything. Right. <laughs> a sandwich right. I'm, I'm, I've gone pure Irish Catholic straight away right <laughs> Jesus I don't know what you're talking about you know this sort of stuff and she's there going so what do you need baby and I'm going oh no really I don't need that and she goes I'm a qualified masseuse I'm going no I don't, I don't need a massage please <laughs> I'm nearly crying um, and uh, but just as the door you know I had to be really insistent look I really don't want anything please I'm okay I was trying to be polite I was trying to be firm but uh, I was genuinely quite kind of daunted by this, um, and I thought uh, I thought the lift was going to close, and I was going to be locked in the lift with this aggressive prostitute. But actually, just as the door was closing, she stuck her foot out, caught the door, and jumped out, and then she was gone. But um, yeah, that's my last
0: prostitute story. For now.
1: For <laughs> now. For now.
0: I was uh, when when I go to Vegas, I'm usually at uh, the the Encore, the Win Encore compound and there's a there's a bar that we like there and the bartender ray the, it's a bar frequented by prostitutes
2: oh is there not, any other kind right when you're on the well, strip, right?
0: right right but I, I want to set this up like this it's a common occurrence so it's not unusual for him to slip us of a, a note that just says i hate i hate hookers or something on it like, just kind of a nod to, oh, God, they're still here. Why do I have to deal with these people? It's it just kind of, you know, acknowledging the situation. Yeah. Uh, not like this is the one place in Vegas where you're going to find them. Just sort of, you know, acknowledging it. And we all have a good laugh. And it's pretty common to see the girls come up, and they'll chat with us, or they'll chat with the, the, the other guys there. Well, one night, I'm standing there, and there's a couple of girls who just, I think, come out of the club, and they come over, and, and they're standing. this guy comes up, and is, like, aggressively hitting on them. But he's, he's obviously drunk, out of his mind, and doing a terrible job of hitting on them. But, but hitting on these girls, like, hey, we should go, we should go party, and they're like, we're, we're good, we're just going gonna to get our drinks, and you know, we're, we're going to do our thing. And trying to kind of politely blow the guy off, and he's not getting the message at all. And finally, the one girl turns and, and says, look, I've been trying to be nice about this, but you're not getting it. We are rejecting you. Go the fuck away. Turn around and walk away. We don't want to talk to you. Nothing is going to happen here. This is not going to end well for you. Go away. And the guy is trying to think of like something to say to that, and and just kind of like fumbles over himself verbally for a second, and then wanders off. And I, I turn to the girl. I'm like, holy shit, that was awesome. Like, good for you. That was it was so awkward that I was thinking like, should I, should I get involved? Should I say something? And she's like, oh, we had it under control. I'm like, clearly, that was great. That was uh. I uh, thanks for the show. I I appreciate it because usually, like the only entertainment we get at this time of night at the bar is you know, watching the prostitutes. And she, she looks at me and she goes, "Excuse me, what do you mean?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, there's there's you know, the, there's a lot of prostitutes that come to this bar." And she goes, "I know, we're prostitutes." Oh, burn! And I'm like, oh, I was uh, gonna
1: say that. Wouldn't uh, that? I mean, <laughs> oh man,
0: I I did not see that one coming. And so I'm just like, uh well, you know, good for you. Uh, that that I, I hope you like it. And she just kind of stares at me for a second. I didn't know what to say. And the first thing that popped into my head was, I have so many questions. Yeah. And she goes, we're not going to answer them. And just walks away.
2: So the, in our, I think we stayed in the Bali uh, last time we were there. And um, on two separate nights, uh, sitting at the bar, just chatting, a couple of, couple of guys just chatting, and a girl came up and sat down beside us. And the story is, oh, my friends are such lightweights. Uh, we're in town for the weekend and they're all gone to bed and I want to stay up drinking, you know. And, you know, I'd talk to anyone at a bar, you know, out of, out of politeness or out of having an interesting conversation. Um, but on, on two occasions, it's, it's you know, you're about 15 minutes in chatting. What do you do? What do you work at? I do this, you know, the, the, you know. Uh, you know, you've got the full, if you like, backstory. And then the conversation turns around. So what are you looking for? I was like, oh, I'm not looking for anything, you know? And and then it comes out quite, uh, I guess, quite explicitly. Um, well, we can go up to my room and I'm going to charge it. And it's like, well, no, I'm not really interested in that. That's not what we're here for. And in okay. fact, one of them had this kind of really like, she was real kind of, yeah, girl's got to try. You know, and it was, it was, It was almost a sales funnel for her. It's like she tries so many, and some of those result in sales, and some of them don't. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it's a numbers uh, game. Absolutely, a numbers game. And she was she was actually um, kind of really nice towards me in in the rejection. You know, was saying that uh, you know that's not what I'm in town for. It's not really what I'm interested. And she's gone. Yeah, I get it. That's okay. That's cool. I just had to try. And, and kind of a, a polite walking away, you know, see you around, kind of kind of ending to the conversation. Well, you um,
0: catch more flies with honey.
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you do, maybe you do. Um, but I guess I guess it's one of the things I walked away from. Certainly from the strip in Vegas was that, um to my mind, there wasn't much opportunity for chance conversations with random people,
0: which is which is kind of you know a, a lot of how. Pop culture works in Ireland. Yeah, I would kind of disagree. I've I've had a lot of random conversations in Vegas, and I would say very few of them have been with prostitutes. Uh, a friend Scott Simpson, he likes to do a thing where uh, he just goes and talks to randos. Like he he needs an hour or two a night where he just goes off and has five minutes of conversation with a hundred different random people. Like, think he just needs that. He needs that that random learning about somebody, single serving friend thing. Yeah. And he he loves Vegas for that because there's so many people. And I think it's you can have random conversations. Just don't pick the prettiest girl at the bar uh, in the late evening in Vegas because you know, there's a, a decent chance that that's not going to be exactly what you expect it to be. Yeah, I guess. In I
2: guess in in, in the the two conversations that springs to mind, um, the girl came to us right, which which is probably not a great sign in the first place, I guess right. But I mean. It it did certainly seem like innocent conversations at the start of it. Obviously, uh,
1: see that's the thing is like I I am a girl who lives in Vegas, probably not the most attractive one at the bar, but like not that bad, right? But like I can't just <laughs> walk up and have a conversation with somebody randomly without being considered. Oh, this girl's probably a prostitute. Like that. That's just so unfortunate.
2: So I, I think that's, I think that's the big downside for someone like it's you, Jamie. It's huge. Is that, and, you right? know what?
1: And, and I have to tell you, like, when, when I left Las Vegas and moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, and I worked in a dot com and a higher education dot com, I was one of the, um, he, I was the only person from Las Vegas, obviously, I guess, but um, that was always the question, were you a dancer? it was just like oh my really? god really you know like really is that the question you're asking me of all the questions you could ask me about being from las vegas like were you were you a dancer or you like yeah and now i'm in software thanks you know i, I don't know it's just so god it's so annoying ah anyway i could i could see that <laughs> being annoying
2: i guess i i think you know when when we did find talking to croupiers or whatever um you know you regularly say well where are you from and I did the, the first one or two that said they were from Las Vegas. I kind of stopped and thought, I never thought that people could be from Las Vegas. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. It's like, it's, <laughs> I hear you, that so much. You're not alone in that. Like, I get that. So like people live there.
0: It's like, yeah. 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 It's like being from the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people have been there, but nobody's from there.
1: Exactly. Even living here, it is so rare to meet people from here yeah it's very very strange and i don't know and i don't i don't get downtown very often but you know like it's um god boy that stereotype let me tell you especially in my 20s it was much worse of course in my 20s but like yeah that stereotype was just like good god really hard to shake
2: i I think i think that's horrendous The people just assumed you were
0: a dancer (laughs) a
1: dancer or yeah or or other yeah other sorts of solicitous solicitatious activities, I guess.
0: I see. So this is why I keep telling you, you got to wear that. I'm not a prostitute T-shirt.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. As the, as I as I push forty here, I don't think it's as I big as again. A, again an I'm not wading in on that one. But yeah, I just you know, yeah. As, as I've <laughs> aged, it's not. It's and I don't go out anymore. You know, in my twenties, I used to go out a lot. I enjoyed going out, and I used to do a lot of a lot of art openings, so I'd dress very nicely, and um. I don't know, but yeah, now I just wear like a sweatshirt and jeans, and I don't go out, so I don't think there's any confusion.
2: I, I did visit an amazing uh, sign museum in in Vegas. Yeah, where, the where neon all the old sign signs. graveyard. Yeah, yeah,
1: that was
2: that was really cool, and I I get the feeling there's a. There's a website somewhere of hidden Vegas, you know, where there's I'm sure there's lots and lots of cool stuff to see.
1: There's so much um, more than like the Strip. Like that's what I hate about movies, like The Hangover, which is which was a great movie, the first one. Um, but yeah, like you know, I don't know. That's why I hate the Strip. Actually, I hate going to the Strip corridor. It's just it's it's like if you go to any great city and do the main tourist attraction. You know, you go to San Francisco, let's go to the pier. And I, I don't know, like, that's not where the locals go, right? It's just not.
2: Sure, sure. But I, I think the strip has a bad because it's strewn with, with card calling cards and all that sort of stuff. Sure.
1: It's, it, I mean, you, know, you got to do it. I get it. If you're doing you're here for a bachelor party or you're here to gamble or conferences or mm-hmm. any number of things, um, there are there are things to do for sure. But yeah
0: the strip in downtown wouldn't be so lousy with prostitutes if there weren't so many people demanding prostitutes
1: it's true there's a business there's a market for it <laughs>
0: for sure there's somebody is saying yes
1: Lots a lot of, of somebody's yeah
0: i
2: guess yes. i guess i mean I, 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 certainly there's uh a, there's a, a feeling when you're there that everybody's slightly breaking their own rules do you know what i mean like that that everybody's there is is having uh, are, are kind of doing things that they wouldn't do in their own hometown, kind of thing. Cause what happens do, in
1: Vegas stays in yeah, Vegas. yeah.
2: There's a bit of, there's a bit of that. I mean, the, <laughs> the one thing that really struck me was it doesn't matter what time of day it is. It's always somebody's party time in Vegas, right? So, <laughs> so, you know, you might have just got up. You might have, you know, you might have been up before 4 a.m. You get up reasonably late. You've got to hang over and you say, go oh, on, let's go for breakfast and you go to go for breakfast. And it turns out right beside you, there's 10 college
0: students drinking margaritas and shouting spring break.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's so <laughs> any, true. There any, any time of them. day.
0: Everybody's, yeah, everybody's having a party. Everybody's having a good time. Uh, the, this last time I was in Vegas, I was there for uh, my friend Nick's birthday. And we did a very different kind of Vegas from what I normally do. We went to, um, I forget the name of the hotel. It was this weird. It was there was no casino. It was like right next to Planet Hollywood. Anyway, it was this weird. There was no casino, so everybody brought their kids. So it's children everywhere, which is already freaking me out. And we we decided for whatever reason, instead of doing the the normal thing that I do in Vegas, which is drinking and gambling and m- more drinking, we uh, we rented a cabana by the pool. And I'm thinking to myself like, this is going to be hell. I'm going to hate this. I actually had a really good time. It, it turns out that just chilling and not having to think too much about anything and uh, having the drinks brought to us all day, uh, it turned out to be uh, uh, quite a bit of fun. You know, I got some swimming time in and all that.
2: I guess that's what most normal holidays are, right? Okay, <laughs> are, are like, right? I mean, it's just right. you, you just had a a normal holiday in Vegas. That's you know I, what I mean. So you didn't yeah. have a Vegas holiday in Vegas.
0: So this hotel was also like, I guess maybe there was a deal or something. It was like a Hilton Grand Vacation kind of a thing. It was full of like broy college kids. So it, it might have been the douchiest hotel on the Strip. So what, <laughs> what ends up happening is the, there's all these children inside, but the pool is like spring break. And weirdly, the pool was only three feet deep. Whoa, that's there There was no, de- or maybe it was four feet, but there's no deep end in the pool. Like if you want to be submerged, you're sitting on the floor of the pool. That's very bizarre. It was super bizarre. But the getting to watch all of these people party because usually I'm at like the win encore. It's a, like a I don't know kind of a fancier crowd of people that likes to hang out there a little more hoity-toity. Uh, so to be around the, the the spring break style people where everybody's got like the the blown out hair and there's you know Italian guys wearing guyliner and everybody spends clearly at least eight hours a day at the gym. Uh, it was a much different experience getting to see people like that party. I don't understand how or why they live their lives the way they do.
2: Okay, I just need to stop you there. What the hell is guy
0: liner? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a guy wearing eyeliner. No, that's wrong.
1: Wait, How's that wrong? what's wrong? The name or do you guy wear eyeliner? eyeliner?
2: I've never heard of guy liner. I have seen guys wearing eyeliner. Uh,
1: I've never heard the term before either. But I've it. never heard the term. But I have no, no problem with guys wearing eyeliner.
0: yeah i don't care it's fine
2: yeah boy george started that back in the 80s i remember
1: i have to wrap this one up because i have that kid pickup time we have gone from parenting to prostitution and back again
0: (laughs) (laughs) stop the lights stop the lights
1: oh i love it dharma you've been awesome to talk to you really